welcome to the Kingdom Way podcast. My name is Justin Gravat, and I hope that this will be a place where we can have meaningful conversations about the Christian faith to better help us follow Jesus, the living and reigning King. My goal is that through these theological discussions, we can better learn about the way of Jesus, which will profoundly influence how we live each and every day. The gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news Jesus preached, offers a new way of living, and that requires that we take seriously what Jesus taught and how he lived. But this work is absolutely worth it, as following and practicing this kingdom way of Jesus leads to an abundant and flourishing life as we connect learning with living. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the Kingdom Way podcast. Today we are going to unpack one of the more well-known passages in the entire Bible, what is often called the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines that Jesus calls his followers to practice. It's a habit that we are called to inculcate so that it becomes a natural rhythm in our life. Prayer as a practice is talked about dozens, if not hundreds of times in the biblical narrative, but we are specifically going to focus on what Jesus says about prayer in his Sermon on the Mount. The same prayer is talked about in the Gospel of Luke, where in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples of Jesus asks him, Lord, teach us to pray. Here we see an apprentice of Jesus being very straightforward and asking an extremely practical question. How do we pray? Teach us, Lord. Notice Jesus doesn't reprimand the individual, but rather gives a wonderful, user-friendly prayer model to follow. While the prayer is full of insightful content, it is also a model in brevity. Jesus does not mince words in this short but powerful prayer. He also gives a prayer that addresses things at a cosmic level, all the way down to the mundane, the everyday life. It's a prayer that covers all aspects of our lived experience. In Luke's gospel, the prayer seems to be condensed. So let's read Matthew's full version of what Jesus said and how we ought to structure our prayers. Matthew 6, 9-13 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus lays out what could be used as a verbatim construction, something to follow as we pray, word for word. Alternatively, Jesus also gives us as a model, a structure to guide us as we pray continually with God. Let's walk through the prayer and point out some important features. You'll notice from the very beginning that the prayer starts with God, hallowing Him, which means giving Him honor. As R.T. France writes in his superb commentary on Matthew, quote, the first half of the prayer is concerned with God's honor, kingdom, and purpose, and only after that do we find our own needs. Prayer starts with God, who He is, His character. But Jesus doesn't refer to God in just any way. He prays, Our Father. This is an incredibly intimate term, displaying closeness with God and a familial connection. This is no distant, abstract deity. God, the creator and sustainer of all that exists, can also be called Father. The gravity of this statement should not be missed. Yes, he is the king of the universe, the triune God who possesses all the superlative attributes, but he is also our Father, who is with us and cares for us. 
Praying to God as Father also reaffirms our connection as sons and daughters of God. If God is our Father, then we are rightly called His children. As the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17, all humanity is God's offspring. God is our Father, and we are His children. Moreover, it helps us see others as equal image bearers of God, fellow children of our Father. This should dispel any notion that following Jesus is an individualistic religion, a lone wolf's journey. Instead, we see that imitating Jesus is a corporate endeavor, something we do with fellow Christians. Starting the Lord's Prayer with Our Father allows us to start with God and His name. Then we reaffirm our own identity as children of God, and also the identity of all other people. God is our Father, I am His child, and others are His sons and daughters. Then we hallow God, we give him his deserved honor, praise, and glory. God is already holy, of course, but this part of the prayer reminds, recognizes, and recalls God's holiness. We praise the loving God who is compassionate, gracious, and kind. We praise the God who is a consuming fire, a God who is light and entirely just. In this way, we hallow God's name. We give him the appropriate praise. Next, we are to pray that God's kingdom will come and his will be done. Jesus' gospel was the good news of the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is a teaching Jesus focuses on throughout his ministry. Many have suggested it was his central teaching. The gospel of God's kingdom is multifaceted, but it can be summarized as the announcement that in the person and work of King Jesus and his followers, God's power, reign, and rule is present, available, and active. In other words, God's saving, liberating power of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, and his victory over all evil and death are all available in and through Jesus. One can enter this kingdom, this reign of God, in virtue of the resurrected, saving, and enthroned king. We enter into this kingdom by faith, and it is a kingdom, a rule, described as a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. The good news is that God rescues us from the power and kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom, into the rule of his son, Jesus. Moreover, this kingdom has a code of ethics, the law of Christ. It offers protection, enforces judgment, and demands loyalty. God's subjects, his loyal followers who have given their allegiance to King Jesus, are thus called a kingdom. Where God's people are, that is where God's kingdom is alive and active. Believers are called the body of Christ, so they are in a real sense the body of King Jesus. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom during his earthly ministry and through his death, resurrection, and ascension. But that kingdom has not been fully consummated. That will happen when Jesus returns and reigns on earth. Until then, the good news is available to even those in rebellion to King Jesus. Entering this kingdom of God also means one has eternal life. As William Lane writes in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, eternal life, salvation, or entrance into the kingdom describe a single reality which must be bestowed as his gift to men. Praying that God's kingdom comes is to pray that God's reign in and through his followers would expand, that his saving power would be felt in all the earth, that more people would enter the kingdom, that his liberating gospel would be known by all, and that his image bearers or imitating Jesus and his kingdom ethics would spread God's love, truth, and healing to all. As we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, 
We shine like lights to a broken and watching world. We align ourselves with God's reign, his purposes, and his way of life. We also are told to pray that God's will be done. In many ways, this is parallel to God's kingdom coming, but likely has some broader nuances. It's important to realize that we must know God's will if we are to pray that it be done. For example, it is God's will and desire that all people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, so we ought to pray for this as well. God desires that the wicked turn to him and live. God does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. It is God's will that we are sanctified and holy, that we follow Jesus and love God and others. So we ought to pray for all these things too. We pray that God's will be done in the world, our community, and for ourselves. We pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is God's dwelling place where he is enthroned and ruling over all the cosmos. Jesus also sits there now at the right hand of the Father, reigning over all. Of course, God is also omnipresent, a fancy way of saying he is aware of and cognizant of all things in his creation. We are to pray that the reality in heaven, where God's reign and glory is seen in its entirety, would be experienced on earth among all. As R.T. Franz puts it, the time must come when God's human creatures join his angelic forces in honoring and serving their king. This is a call for action. Those praying must commit their lives and give their allegiance to help enact God's will, further his kingdom vision, and honor God in all they do. Jesus next tells us to pray for our daily sustenance. Give us today our daily bread. This is to practice complete dependence on God for seemingly mundane needs. Notice how the Lord's Prayer as presented in both Matthew and Luke's Gospel has the request to God for daily bread at the very center. God is imminently aware of our daily needs and calls for us to make those requests to Him consistently. Jesus is demanding a mindset of a disciple, one who knows God is for them, loves them, and provides what is needed. Right in the middle of the prayer about God's kingdom and His will, we see a practical request about daily food. More than this, this demonstrates that God wants us to ask. Over and over in the biblical narrative, we see a relational God who listens, who hears, and responds. As the Apostle James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. God, through prayer, is inviting us into a relationship where he actually responds, but only if we ask. Notice that the prayer does not say God will necessarily give the bread always, but as the Apostle Paul explains, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. We are to rely on God's provisions daily as he is a good father to his children. And even if that bread is not provided, all things work together for good for those who love God. Next, Jesus says we are to pray to God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. By debts, Jesus means sins. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgiveness ought to be a central feature of our prayer lives. As R.T. France says, those who ask for forgiveness must be forgiving people. A few verses after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6.15, but if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A posture of forgiveness towards others is required for God's forgiveness on us. This is not because forgiving others somehow earns God's favor. 
Rather, a forgiving heart demonstrates one has given allegiance to Jesus the Christ. That person is demonstrating faithfulness, embodied fidelity to King Jesus. There is then a natural overflowing of forgiveness for the one who is already faithful to Jesus. Followers of Jesus have a faith that works, a living faith, which is the only faith that saves, as the Apostle James says. And as Jesus says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. The Lord's Prayer ends with asking God for protection. The first request is that we are not led into temptation or a time of trials or testings. Some commentators on this passage think this is merely a rhetorical way to ask for God's protection from sin, but Jesus may have something else in mind here. Several things are worth mentioning. First, the Apostle James writes that God does not tempt people. Truly, God does not lead people to temptations or trials with nefarious intentions. However, this does not mean times of temptations or trials are not sometimes a part of God's plans. A case in point example is Jesus, who needed to be tempted by the devil at the start of his ministry. The Spirit of God in Matthew 4 led Jesus so that he would be tested and tempted by the devil. God also, in Genesis 22, is said to have tested Abraham. So God does test his followers and even places them in times of temptation. However, as the Apostle Paul writes, quote, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested or tempted or in a trial beyond your strength, but in all these situations he will provide the way out so that you can endure it. In summary then, God does allow and sometimes may even orchestrate times of trials, testings, and even temptations for his followers. Remember in the book of Job, where he undergoes intense trials allowed by God, or Jesus being led by the Spirit to be tempted, and God testing Abraham. God permits this for his followers with the goal that they would choose wisely, that they will choose life, that they will choose virtuously. When Jesus' followers pray to God, lead us not into temptation, this serves as a request to God to avoid these situations if it's in fact his will. We ask this because we're aware of our finitude, our frailty, or simply a desire to avoid these times of suffering. Perhaps there are times of temptation which God allows, which can actually be avoided if we pray that God does not lead us there. Jesus is thus saying we should pray to God to avoid times of trials, temptations, and testing, which God may have otherwise allowed, but due to our faithful prayers will protect us from. Recall Jesus praying to God the Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The cup symbolized the wrath and justice of God. Jesus prays, if it's possible and if it's God's will, to not have to experience this hardship. There's nothing wrong with that kind of prayer. But more than anything, Jesus prays that God's will be done, as that is the ultimate priority and demonstration of his allegiance to God. The prayer ends with a request to God that he deliver or rescue us from the evil one. Some older translations put it more generally, asking God to protect us from evil, broadly speaking. But the vast majority of contemporary translations explain that Jesus is saying we are to pray for protection from the evil one, the devil, the great enemy. Make no mistake, the devil, Satan, is alive and active, along with his demonic followers. Our fight, as Christians, is not against other humans, but against these evil spiritual forces. 
As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, For those who are faithful to Jesus, God is faithful to them, and he will strengthen them and protect them from the evil one. The apostles tell us that we must fight the good fight of faith and resist the devil. Our prayer is situated within this cosmic battle. This does not mean that God will always remove the persecution we are facing from Satan and his forces in this lifetime. God sometimes allows Satan to work his evil so that some greater good will come. For example, God allowed Satan to persecute Job to showcase Job's faithfulness. He allowed Paul to have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep him from being prideful. And he allowed Satan to help instigate Jesus' death so that Jesus could be resurrected as the conquering king. Still, Jesus tells us here in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray to God if he is willing to rescue us from the evil one. However, even if God does allow a thorn in our flesh or some persecution, we know that God is ultimately for us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. As we close this podcast, one final thought is needed, the power of prayer. As the Apostle James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Strangely, followers of Jesus tend to undersell the power and influence of prayer. Jesus models this prayer for us because it actually has the potential to change reality. When we pray to God that his kingdom come, his will be done, to protect us from evil forces and give us our daily provisions, it truly makes a difference. God may not always answer our prayers as we would like, but he hears our prayers and he is a God who is with us and for us. We must not undersell our calling to pray and our responsibility in enacting certain possibilities. We must not undersell the power of God, the God who hears and acts. To quote from Pastor Tyler Staden, he says, Yes, prayer stills us, brings us peace, helps us come to terms with what is. Prayer changes the person praying from the inside out, but prayer also releases power. Prayer releases power to effect real change in the tangible world. So, how Jesus should we pray? Let us read one last time what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kingdom Way. If you found the conversation helpful in your walk with Jesus, please consider giving the show a review on your listening platform. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.